Welcome to Digital Mental Health Conversations, the podcast by SilverCloud Health. Our second podcast in the series is about supporting mental health and well-being in the workplace after COVID-19. So let me introduce today's guests. Firstly, we have Robin Lewis, who is a senior HR director and leads the HR teams for Cigna's Europe and global business segments, as well as the Middle East and Africa region plus the global service operations and total health and network teams as well. During his career, he is always focused on working with leaders and teams to deliver optimal organizational performance through transformational business change and is also a qualified coach from the Tavistock Institute. Secondly, we have Dr. Jorge Palacios, who is a digital health scientist for SilverCloud Health and a research fellow at the eMental Health Research Group at Trinity College Dublin. He completed his PhD in psychological medicine in London at the Institute of Psychiatry, Psychology and Neurosciences. Prior to his PhD, Dr. Palacios obtained his medical degree at the National Autonomous University in Mexico City and won a scholarship to undertake a master's in psychiatric research from King's College London. So our guests have very unique and different perspectives about how we can support people with mental health and well-being in the workplace. So let's get started with some of the questions. So we'll start with the first question then, Robin. It'd be really wonderful to just hear some of your feedback and to share some of your experiences from your customers about how they're planning to support companies and their employees in this situation post-COVID. Yeah, so this is really interesting, isn't it? So, I mean, what, what we're finding here is that there is a big uptake in terms of support for our members, particularly in terms of emotional and well-being support. I think what we're finding here is that across the board, that there is a a significant interest in digital and online support, really across the board from a healthcare perspective. And that's everything from sort of initial consultations through to telemedicine, counselling support, online conversations. So we're really seeing that as a sort of big uh, uh, and I suppose that that's got to be anticipated, really, hasn't it? Because, you know, given given the uncertain and the interesting times that we're going through, emotional well-being of employees is is absolutely paramount. So employers, our clients are actually our own employees. You know, we're finding that there is a big uh, sort of increase in in support that we're able to offer. Do you think that then that's a greater acknowledgement by leadership? by by organizations of the importance of mental health as as well as obviously the the increase in presentation so very much so very much so absolutely i think that there's an increased i mean if we look at sort of leadership and we look at management and generally the way that we're sort of managing our employees and helping our employees through the uncertainty actually of, of our current times uh, there's definitely definitely an increased awareness of the need for emotional well-being and emotional support so I think I think it's clear, isn't it, that, that there are sort of areas of real concern at the moment. One of the most fundamental ones is the uncertainty, the fear of the unknown. And then equally, as we've sort of moved everybody into this virtual uh, world, uh, an increased sense of isolation and potentially of loneliness and the sort of consequent sort of anxieties that really come out of this too. So from a management point of view, from an employer's perspective, absolutely, well-being of staff. It is is absolutely top of mind, and this is not just about physical well-being, of course. 
that this is about emotional support. This is about connectivity. This is about making sure that we can really deeply connect with our teams, uh, with our colleagues to ensure that they're you know, feeling good about actually how they're operating and how they are. And do you think that acknowledgement then um, and, and this real change, do you feel that this is going to be kind of a lasting change, that actually the parity of mental health is going to take a, as much of an importance as kind of physical health within the workplace? So I do, and actually I hope so. And I think this is going to be one of the paradoxes that comes out of the uh, the pandemic crisis, that I think it's it's accelerated actually a leadership and a management awareness uh, of the real need for a sort of whole person approach. A real need to understand that that, that emotional well-being, uh, physical well-being, it's sort of totally interrelated. So from a leadership perspective, absolutely. I mean, I'm already seeing a shift, uh, and I think that this shift will continue towards a set of competencies or a set of sort of management uh, focus areas, if you will, uh, that are really much more about sort of building support, building resilience, showing empathy, really, uh, you know, to support to support the teams. Um, I, th- I think it's critical. And I, I think that's, you know, that distinction between supporting an employee with their mental health is absolutely kind of mission critical, but then also supporting the leadership with that change is equally important. How are kind of organisations then supporting those two areas? Yes, I think that's a very interesting topic. And I, th- I think uh, support comes in many different uh, forms. Certainly at Cigna, I mean, we take a very practical approach here. So we work very closely with managers and leaders at all levels, and and we're talking to to client organisations too in a similar context. So some of the stuff that we're doing around leadership t- training, and of course all of our training now is is completely virtual, completely online, but really enabling them to have access to information, communication, all of the support that's out there, whether it's about sort of access to employee assistance programmes, EAPs, online telemedicine or indeed sort of leadership resources that will really enable them to keep the connectivity and the support in place. What we've been doing is running a series of webinars for our managers to really keep them engaged and to make sure that they've got access to up-to-date information. We've got some great stuff that's available. But really, I mean, if we take this back to the employee across across organisations, not just Cigna, but across organisations globally, communication is key. So enabling our managers to be clear in their message um, you know, if I go back to one of my sort of concerns, it's the it's the uncertainty, it's the fear of the unknown. How do you support and redress that? It's through clear messaging, clear communication, and continual support. And that I guess that kind of communication, uh, giving kind of people that, that that sense of control, which I'm sure kind of Jorge can reflect on 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 in a few moments' time, would is absolutely kind of critical. And so, so, you know, in reflecting that you are seeing kind of the, the, the increases in, in mental health issues uh, presenting, uh, and you talked about some of those practical steps in terms of kind of supporting people, communication, access to information, giving that people that sense of control. And we hear about this kind of this, this new normal in terms of the workplace or in our personal professional lives. What do you think that actually kind of means in practical terms, in terms of the workplace? And, and how do we help people transition into that if there is such a thing as a new normal? Uh, so, so again, I mean, I think the immediate priority for many organisations and employers is how they transition their employees back to the workplace. And there's some very practical stuff that, that we're looking at. And I know that many organisations are working through at the moment. 
And that's all of the stuff about how you kit out an office to be safe. It's all about the social distancing, you know, ensuring that proper risk assessments have been carried out, that we've got the right sort of protective equipment, uh, and really sort of building the resilience into the workplace itself. But I think longer term than that, and again, this is one of the sort of interesting factors that comes out of COVID, is accelerating the conversation about the workplace of the future, and actually whether there is a more sensible balance between working from home. What we're finding, not just our own employees, but employees of our client organisations and other organisations globally, many people are much more interested now and uh, absolutely keen to keep the balance between working from home and flexibly going into the office. So, so I think that the office becomes more of a flexible, collaborative meeting zone rather than a place where you go to work. And of course, there'll be many different solutions, but I think envisaging and sort of really moving towards that sort of future workplace is a critical strategic uh, conversation for employers at the moment. And I think that being able to kind of flex the workplace is, is really important. And I guess you're going to have uh, different people, those that might want to bring back the old way of working, if you like, um, what they're used to, which is kind of purely office-based. There's some that might want to go fully transition over to remote working and those that might kind of want a mixture. How do you kind of support those different types of individuals with obviously kind of various different kind of mental health and practical needs uh, around that? And how do you kind of prevent um, there being kind of different kind of group biases or prejudices coming in to different people making different choices? So I think initially that this is looking at thing, this from a role-based perspective. What are the roles that are essential to be based in, in a location? What are the roles that actually can be based fully flexibly and work fully flexibly, either from home or other virtual uh, locations? Then, of course, there's a deep human element to overlay on that. And that's that's to do with sort of individual circumstances. There are going to be many people who who actually maybe do, do not want to or cannot work from home. So it, it's putting the right rigour and robust decision-making process behind that so it doesn't become open to abuse and it doesn't become open to bias. So putting the structure and the process and enabling managers to have good quality but guided and facilitated conversations around that to really enable a strong support model for employees to do what is right for them as individual human beings and, and, and as colleagues, but, but equally what's right for the role that they're, they're fulfilling. And at Cigna, how are you stimulating those conversations? How are you making that safe space available? So, I mean, at the moment, we're, we're running a number of conversations with our employees. I mean, we've got some interesting initiatives where, for instance, we're having virtual support conversations some of them led by clinically trained sort of nurse case managers and psychologists. Some of them led clearly through the, the sort of management team to really enable the employee voice to be heard. So I think that's critical from a sort of leadership perspective that this is not about telling people what to do, but it's getting the conversation going, listening, and then being able to support. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then really backing that up with digital connectivity. And I think this is where the you know, the virtual world really comes into its own because that conversation fundamentally is online, it's digital at the moment. How do you make that as human as you possibly can to really give it the the impact uh, that, that you want? And are there any themes coming out of some of those conversations? Yeah, no, absolutely there are. I mean, and again, if I go back to, to some of the, the concerns that I sort of raised at the beginning, there's the, the uncertainty, the fear of the unknown, the isolation, the potential loneliness, 
from an employment point of view, is my job safe is a critical question that comes up. And then particularly about how do I adapt to new ways of working? So, I mean, in the early stages of our pandemic response, clearly it was how do I adapt to being working at home? That's kind of new, it's different. Maybe I'm not set up properly to do that. But now as we emerge from lockdown, and we're hearing this more and more from employers and the larger organisations, is actually how do we support our staff as they they see a sort of new uncertainty coming through? Do I stay at home? Do I do I travel to work? How risky is that? What's the working environment going to be? So again, it comes back to communication, getting the decisions clearly articulated, clear, concise communication to really best support our employees. And those various different um, elements that you're bringing in, those conversations, those practical kind of tips, often organisations have a culture that they like to to kind of foster um, and, and nurture. Do you think this is a natural kind of cultural shift for an organisation in terms of some of those values? Or do they maintain the same and, and you just enhance them further? Um, so, so, no, I think that there's going to be a, def- a, a definite cultural shift. Uh, and, you know, I talked before about leadership and the sort of changing needs or, or capabilities of leaders. I think from a cultural perspective, too, I think what we're going to see much more is is uh, organisations becoming supportive environments, much more of sort of clarity of employee well-being and resilience being top of the agenda. Um, support for change. I mean, I think it's pretty clear that organisations, and certainly at Cigna, you know, we were changing dynamically before this crisis. So this is not change. Uh, support is not new, but it's been massively accelerated. So again, the, the 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 role of the employer is in effect the guardian of responsibility for how do you engage with, how do you support, uh, how do you manage that whole person, that whole well-being support for your employees, critically important. There's a massive acceleration of this change, both in terms of leadership and culture. I think that will continue for sure. We talked about kind of some of the employer's responsibilities, which I'd like to kind of reflect on a little bit further. But what are some of the employees' responsibilities? What can they do? So again, I think being aware of what's going around, uh, going on, and absolutely being prepared to engage in that conversation. So we're encouraging our employees to speak up, to keep a continual dialogue going with their colleagues, with their manager, uh, with their HR team. And so we're putting in place the mechanics to enable that to happen some of that happens through the typical sort of survey type environment but equally on a sort of more day-to-day basis keeping that collaboration keeping that communication keeping that conversation going we're really encouraging uh, our teams our colleagues to be more proactive in terms of voicing challenge where there are concerns where there are questions speaking up Um, so again the organization can become much more adaptive listening uh, responding and changing uh, and we're finding that that's working quite well. Uh, it's all about building resilience and building flexibility into the into the way we operate. But you're absolutely right that there is an employee responsibility to make that change happen as well. And, and often uh, within an organisation, when we have these initiatives, uh, surveys and those conversations, we can kind of bring in lots of different ways to to stimulate that, that conversation, as, as you've mentioned and, and we've talked about. And often we can can hear some of that noise and we can act on that. How do we reach those people that don't engage in that way, that maybe due to some of the impact and the mental health issues that they might be experiencing, 
feel unable to kind of communicate. This is where the role of the line manager as, as in effect communicator and coach really comes into its own. Uh, and again, in Cigna, we would be working with our team leaders, our line managers, our people managers to really help them be deeply connected to absolutely everybody across the organization and just enabling those conversations to happen. Um, it's always a two-way process. Knowing your people, the people manager is so important in this process. And how do you foster that trust? Because it sounds like Signa is, is an organization that, that has that at, at its, its heart um, in terms of being able to kind of enable that. So how do you, how as an organization have you created that, that environment of trust? So Signa is a mission-driven or purpose-driven organization. So typically people that work with with Signa are, are determined to make a difference, make a difference to their colleagues, their clients, their, their partners, their, their communities, actually. So then it's about having a, a set of values, which we have, which is about, you know, and living up to those values and making them real. So we, we are at the moment, you know, undergoing quite a sort of major shift from a cultural point of view to really understand how we, how we can embed those values. Uh, and, and that's about engaging everybody. And, and again, it's about getting input. It's about engaging. It's about having that conversation, encouraging people to speak up. And, you know, if we look at it from a, from a diversity perspective, for example, you know, this is a conversation which, which we keep alive and we continually uh, talk to our teams about how we can be better balanced. So, you know, on the question of trust, it, it does take time. It takes effort. People managers keep that conversation going. We just make sure that all of our people processes and systems are aligned. Um, now, we don't always get it right. So again, I think, and this is something which, which I think we need to be, uh, real to, particularly as we've managed through the, the COVID crisis, we don't have all the answers. And as a manager and a leader, I think you have to be, be able to be honest and to when you don't, when you know that you don't have an answer or you're working through things, uh, but being, being clear about that process, I think is, is pretty important. Show and some vulnerability. Absolutely. I, I think, you know, we are all should have that openness and, and be able to kind of share those vulnerabilities from leadership and the employees and our teams. And, and you mentioned time was one of these things. That it, the, these things take time. But how do you make time for this? Because often we are kind of caught up within our day-to-day -day work, our day-to-day -day lives, professionally and personally. How as an organization do you kind of make that time and that space available? Is this kind of formal kind of structure is this uh, more ad hoc? How do you make that time? And how do you, from a HR perspective, highlight the importance of this when you've got competing kind of demands on someone's time? Yeah, th this is tough, isn't it? Because you're right. I mean, there are sort of many things that need to be done. But this is making sure that the leadership team are fully focused and engaged around how they're going to operate. So not just about sort of what they do, what they're going to be delivering, but how they operate. So again, we, we work with our leadership teams to ensure that they've got a, a full, balanced view of their priorities. And this is about coaching leaders to understand that it's not just about task, but equally relationships, communication, support. And again, back to well-being, um, you know, because we talk a lot about sort of individual well-being. I think what I'm interested here is the well-being of the organization itself. Uh, that does take time, and it takes time to do all of the things that we've already covered about sort of listening, communicating, empathizing, being attuned to the 
the the well-being of, of the teams, the organization and the individuals and just making sure that there is time to do that. I, I don't have one specific formula for that. And every every leader, every manager, every people manager will do this in a different way. But it's fundamentally about the shift, the management shift to the manager as coach rather than the manager as, in effect, a technical manager. And I think you kind of raise a really interesting point that I, that I hadn't kind of considered, which is organizational well-being. You know, how is the organization itself as a collective? How well is that doing? Because obviously, if an organization is, is, is not feeling that it's able to kind of support itself, then, then how, how's that able to kind of trickle that all the way through leadership into to kind of employees? So I, said, I think that's a really nice and interesting kind of perspective. I'd like for a moment just to kind of flip that, if that's okay, and actually talk about some of the actual experiences that people might be going through. And obviously talked a lot about how leadership can support people in the workplace and that organizational well-being. I'd like just to kind of bring in Jorge for a, a, a few moments, just to, to understand how COVID-19 and the pandemic, the impact upon our personal and professional lives, how this might be impacting someone's mental health. What are we seeing and what might be some of the long-term effects? I think it'd be really interesting to kind of get an, an individual person-centric uh, kind of perspective on this. Jorge, your, your thoughts would be very welcome. Thank you, Lloyd. Um, so, yeah, so, well, I mean, I guess we have to start by talking, going outside of the workplace just for a second and thinking how this current crisis has affected people's mental health. And, you know, that that really is a question that, has been covered greatly in the past few months and and I could take a long time answering but I think it's easy to pin down by saying that in the first instance it's affected people's mental health directly in the sense that people that have been exposed to the virus exposed to symptoms to hospitalization you know their mental health has significantly been affected and studies came out you know even in the early days of the pandemic from china obviously when when uh, where this started um and then through other countries who were initial epicenters like italy and iran and it really a high number of people who were directly affected with the virus showed symptoms which were similar to post-traumatic stress after recovery um and when i say high i mean in the nine, 90% so around 9 and 10 and this is obviously due to things like, you know, being socially isolated and, and you know, the danger of, of, of death, obviously, and of, of really bad symptoms, the uncertainty of, of whether or not you'll recover and what's going to happen afterwards, the uncertainty around how the virus behaves in general, but also the fear of transmitting it to others. I mean, and these are things that are seen in any pandemic, but obviously they've come to light a lot in, in this modern pandemic, right? And then, well, there's obviously not to mention the, the overwhelmingly negative news portrayal in, in mass media coverage, which, which doesn't help. Obviously, people who are exposed see this and it's, it, it increases their stress and, and anxieties. But then, you know, outside of those direct effects, there's indirect effects that happen to everyone that, you know, not necessarily have been directly exposed, but have also been subject to isolation and confinement. Um, the uncertainty is, is global. I mean, no one knows when this will end. And job losses are 
you know, something that has happened to millions of people. Um, and obviously that creates stress, you know, economic uncertainty. And then there's the worry of getting sick, obviously. And all of this together really, um, so we're just seeing all of these effects in all of the polls and questionnaires and reports and research studies that have come out looking at mental health. And, you know, there's, there's many numbers that I could cite, but for example, in the US, the levels of depression at the same time last year were about 10% less. Um, and these are, you know, national studies. And then there's people with underlying mental health conditions in which, you know, in another poll, a staggering 80% said that their mental health was even worse now, 80%. And the reasons they cite is, well, um, because they can't see their family or friends or they're at risk of being exposed to the virus. A lot of them don't feel that they have adequate support from mental health services, which are obviously under strain as well. And then, you know, to top it all off, Robin mentioned this this a couple of times, the urge to speak up. Um, I recently read a report that people aren't talking about it. Like 44% said that they had not mentioned their stress or depression or anxiety to anyone. And I think some of that is because, because we're in a global pandemic and everyone is experiencing the same. People are afraid to speak out because they think that, you know, it's normal, right? And whilst it is normal, it is normal to feel stressed and distressed in this stage, you know, it's important to talk about it. It's important to talk about your feelings. It's, a, it's important to seek help and guidance. But right now, a lot of people are not doing that. And so that's obviously a, a concern because symptoms could get worse. So all in all, this is just a cauldron of different situations that, that give rise to, to the mental health difficulties that we're seeing. You describe quite a stark perspective in the sense, and, and I, I've seen that people are talking about a tsunami of mental health. Mm. Um, and, and you've kind of talked about kind of trauma, which I guess we can, uh, as you've reflected, could be that direct trauma, could be vicarious trauma for, from, from having a look at, um, from, from the media, etc. Or kind of collective uh, tra- trauma as a, as a, as a nation, I, I guess, um, mm-hmm. and and then also kind of some of that anxiety, the fear of, of the kind of the future, etc. And that's from people who may not have experienced mental health challenges before, but actually that picture for others that might have experienced mental health in the past is is easy, even uh, worse. So, given that, given the the potential for this tsunami to come. What can we expect from people returning to the workplace? How what might we see when someone is struggling? If 44% aren't talking about it, we have kind of fantastic organizations like Cigna that are providing that information through portals, that support through, through digital therapy, through information, communication, etc. But how do we kind of spot that? Because I guess people's presentation is going to be very different. What, is, what are we likely to kind of see? Um, yeah, okay. So there is um, there is a lot that we, we need to expect to see. I think, you know, we're all adapting and we need to remind ourselves that, you know, things are not the same and they're not going to be the same for a while. I don't know if, you know, we need to talk about a new normal because I don't, you know, love that term, but certainly right now, 
things are not going to be the same as people start to return to the workplace. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty. And part of that uncertainty is people are also afraid that they, they're not going to keep their jobs for much longer. So, that, I mean, that's always hanging in the air. You know, if the economy doesn't recover, these jobs are at risk. But at the same time, you're going to have a situation where the people who return to the workplace are returning to a workplace which is going to be much different, right? And so that's the, on, on one hand, there's that, and I'll speak more about that in a second. But then there's the fact that a lot of people are still going to be working remotely. And that's not going away. And I've spoken about this in the past about, you know, when in the initial times of the pandemic where everybody seems to be working from home, but even as some people return, you know, I think almost the majority of people in any company will still be working from home or this flexibility that also Robin talked about. I mean, that means allowing people to work from home in, in, in lots of different circumstances. So just on that briefly, I do want to talk about working from home a little bit because, you know, that creates some stress as well. And it's important to take into account because when you work from home, there is a lack of structure because it's more difficult to set strict hours for yourself. It's more difficult to log on and off social media and, you know, distractions. There's going to be other people interrupting your work. And, you know, we all, we've all seen kind of viral videos of, of people giving interviews on television and, and their kids coming into the room. And, you know, we, we all have a laugh, but at the same time, you know, that creates a stressful situation and that's an everyday thing for parents, right? So there's these distractions, unclear boundaries, and there's the, the things that we miss from, from the workplace environment. So, you know, work interactions with our colleagues, we might go 10 minutes for, for a coffee break or just, you know, a quick lunch with colleagues. I mean, they're not automatic anymore. They require effort or they may not be possible. So there's that social isolation that's inevitable as well. And all of these things create a sense of stress. So, you know, there's a lot of tips that I can suggest to help with all this. And, you know, the first one is around setting a schedule. So that means basically working um, when you work best. So, I mean, for in my case, I'm, I'm not very much a morning person. I'm, I work much better in the afternoon um, and, and in the evenings. In fact, you know, I wish we had recorded this podcast later. But no, I mean, for everyone, it's different, right? And in that sense, at least that flexibility allows you to, to set those hours uh, much better for yourself. And then prioritizing challenging tasks first so that after those are done, you can get on the, the smaller things. Um, there's a lot of apps and technology to help, you know, with limiting your hours on social media or, you know, watching the news or, you know, creating checklists for things to do, things like that. Um, and staying motivated is important, rewarding yourself by, you know, taking short breaks or, you know, giving yourself a treat when you finish something. And, you know, physical activity is hugely important. And when you're working from home, you know, sometimes hours and hours go by and you're sitting at your desk and you don't even realize it. So, you know, getting up and walking around is hugely important. And obviously, um, I mean, and this is because it's a huge part of mental health, it's sleep patterns. So you really need to protect your sleep as much as possible. So all, all that is, is around um, working from home. 
And, you know, I know this is a long-winded answer, Lloyd, but uh, you asked the long-winded question. <laughs> I, I, I did. But, but, but I, I, I was wondering, you know, what, what you mentioned sleep there. Um, and yeah. you mentioned being kind of distraction by kind of social media, et cetera. What other warning signs might yeah. an employer see that mm-hmm. kind of tells you that some, some, something's not quite right and that, that actually this person might need a little bit more support? Sure, sure. So, um, I mean, obviously, I guess, you know, if, if you're, sleep- if you're not sleeping well, that's also going to reflect on, on your mood, right? And, and having said that, so any changes in mood that are out of the norm are some things that you could even see via Zoom calls, right? And, you know, if people are working long hours and not taking breaks or you're seeing an increase in, you know, lateness to meetings or sickness absence, things like that. If people are maybe distracted uh, or confused or indecisive, withdrawal is, is something else to watch out for. And then there's, of course, um, irritability. I mean, if people seem more irritable than usual, they snap out or they seem angry. I mean, all, all those things related to mood, mood changes. But then, you know, obviously this can reflect on performance. So uncharacteristics performance issues Again, you know, deviating from the norm, like, you know, you know, your colleagues to, to an extent, you know, your employees. And so, you know, when, when things, um, seem to, to take a turn, you know, obviously this, these are signs that it may be, you know, depression, anxiety, it may be their mood that's affecting their, their work. Um, I mean, like we have to remember that the majority of cases of absenteeism and presenteeism and loss of productivity are due to mental health problems. Right. So that's usually the reason why people start to lag off at work. And, uh, yeah, I mean, so, so it's mostly around that. I mean, obviously if, if they also overreact to problems or issues that they hadn't done so in the past, again, these are all signs to watch out for both, you know, as people come back and then, you know, with people who, who have underlying conditions. So, so what I'm hearing there is that actually rather than there being a distinct cluster of symptoms per se, what we're really looking for as an employer, as a leadership person, as a line manager, is looking for those changes to that individual. We're looking at that individual. So that person who might have not spoken much before continues to do so, then that might not necessarily be a sign, but it's something to kind of watch out for. But we really need to kind of look at the changes. So, so emotional outbursts, for example, that are uncharacteristic. Uh, so, so I think th- these are kind of the, the key signs from what I'm hearing. Alongside, obviously, some of, some of the more obvious ones, which is kind of poor, poor sleep, you know, emotional kind of, uh, lability. So, so kind of swings in mood, et cetera. Is that right? Would you say? And if so, what else can people do? We've, we've heard about kind of the communication, some of the support, some of the time away from social media, having those boundaries in place. Is there anything else that, that, that an individual can do, either kind of informally, formally, you know, to perhaps kind of help address some of that? I mean, to answer your first question, I agree. I think um, as, as employees and as colleagues, you know, we're not going to diagnose and, and treat, but, you know, it's important to watch out when things deviate from the norm. And, and this is also about, you know, having empathy, right? Empathy is hugely important in a time like this where, you know, a crisis is affecting everyone. So, you know, not, you know, le- leaders and, and employers have to act by example as well. So, you know, in this situation, how would I be 
reacting is is this normal in my colleague and my friend this this doesn't seem right and then you can refer them obviously to you know to an EAP or or to a mental health professional within the company but it's important to allow them to talk about it as well give them the avenue to discuss what they're feeling and again just by listening and being empathic i mean this is very important you know this this idea that we're all in this together is 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 true i mean it's different for everyone but we are all experiencing this pandemic and what it's how it's affecting um, everything obviously um including the workplace environment which we're talking about here and uh, i mean you you were asking about how what individuals can do you know i think i covered some of it when i when i talked about tips from working from home you know in sense of you know staying connected and and physical health and things like that these things have been talked about a lot you know uh, staying connected with friends and family taking a break from you know your work life and your personal life i mean for example again this is working from home but this this is because it happens naturally when you go into work but you know there has to be a limit um you have to set a boundary when you finish working from home just close everything down you know cover it up go to another room um and then just you know take a break from that and uh, so yeah that that that's another one that i would say um but staying connected is one that you know has been cited a lot because it's probably the most important one staying connected is is really important and and i i think it kind of nicely segues into to one of the things that i've been thinking about Whilst, whilst I've listened to, to both you and Rob, Robin uh, speak about language is important, communication, demonstrating that empathy, and and all of those things are absolutely kind of essential to it to engage with someone. I just wonder we, we've often heard over the last you know four plus months a whole different kind of lexicon come in, a whole different language. We hear words like unprecedented times, challenging times. We we hear about the new normal. We even hear about kind of social distancing, and and for me that I I have kind of a quite a big bugbear over social distancing. I think it should be called physical distancing because yeah. of that connectivity that you talked about. So I'd like to kind of just just ask you, and then then bring in Robin uh, afterwards, just to, just to kind of reflect on on how you're managing those messages. But first, you know, what do you think that the impact of some of those quite emotive uses of languages are? you know that that I've kind of talked about and there are many more so how do you think the kind of the communication at a at a national local you know workplace kind of basis how do you think that's impacting someone's mental health i mean i i guess primarily it's because they're just so prevalent now i mean people you know you read about this all the time everything it's you know social distancing and and you know that creates an effect Effect, you know how you start to perceive um you know even subconsciously these things you know um, people joke about it you know i've had, like my friends say hey do you want to meet up in the park for some you know social distancing social gathering and, and that just it kind of nags at me <laughs> it's, it, it just makes it constant it, it makes the pandemic and the crisis constant in your mind no matter how you know you want to sometimes take a break from it by not reading the news but you know it's seeped into the language as you're saying so i think you know it's important to to consider that and you know understand that we're all adapting and and you know we're we're navigating this crisis but that doesn't mean we can't go back to to a better version of what we had before 
right? Um, and if that is going to be the new normal, then great. But I think it's it's very much an organic thing as well. Um, I mean, language does change with with the times, and these you know these terms come up and and then they they go away again. So you know, it's just interesting to see, but it's also important to understand what it really means without letting the language affect you, right? And 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 Robin, uh, back back to you then. How do you think that that language and those messaging uh, is that something that's important at the forefront of your mind in terms of how those messages are delivered? You know, because obviously we have to balance the pragmatic elements of physical or social distancing, depending on what what kind of term you use, and and also kind of the the pragmatic element of keeping people safe without kind of impacting upon someone's mental health, distress, etc. How have you at Cigna kind of got that balance? So, so, so I think that the key thing here in terms of communication, and absolutely I agree that, that some of the terms and the language don't, don't really help, but they're inevitable given what we're collectively working through. I think the key thing from a communication point of view is to be able to reassure and support and provide clarity. So in, in our communication, what we would try to do is be honest be as realistic as possible. I think be open to the fact that on occasions we don't have the answers, but do that in as positive a way and as reassuring a way as we possibly can. And also, I mean, I I hope that whatever the new normal is that we sort of move collectively together towards has got much more sort of positive messaging that we can start to reinforce. And clearly that's kind of the goal here, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I I agree, Robin. And I think... um that that is going to happen naturally in some ways. I mean, you you were talking uh, a lot about what your organization is already doing, and I think it's brilliant. And I also think that people, by listening to you and, and others speak, like employees are going to start to demand these services. They're going to demand this support. I mean, not you know, not in a negative way, but you know, they're going to expect this from from employees, and that's going to create, I think, a nice positive circle. I mean. You know, if you're considering where you're going to work, you know, I think the fact that if that environment is, you know, really great for your well-being, if it's very supportive, if anything to do with your mental health is taken seriously, if people talk about it openly, I think, you know, that's a place where I would want to work. Um, so I think some things will change and it's about, yeah, navigating this together. Yeah, I mean, I think broadly, just building on that, you know, we're we're in a, a knowledge economy, aren't we? So mm-hmm. broadly, that that mind matters, uh, and I think that this whole whole person kind of approach to health is critically important, not just to us as an organisation, not just to individual companies, but to our overall sort of economic strength. I think it's really nice to kind of hear this about that openness, that kind of clarity, that, that reassurance uh, and, and the empathy that, that, that has also been mentioned and the importance of this in terms of, you know, an employee in terms of the benefits, you know, whether that's a physical, tangible benefit that someone gets for, from the workplace or that emotional benefit and that support and that cultural benefit mm-hmm. that they get. And I think that's going to be, as, as has been reflected, going to be absolutely kind of critical in people kind of selecting the places that they want to to kind of work and the organizations that they want to devote their time to yeah. um, so, so i think this is going to be kind of really important in the future yeah and i mean like almost uh, this so i feel you know uh, as, as we're wrapping up um i mean a thought i have as well on that um, and 
is, you know, that I think what we're all experiencing here is a collective form of grief, right? Because we're all losing things out of our normal lives and we don't know when we're going to get them back. And that includes, you know, going back to, you know, a normal workplace, which, you know, you know, it's a, it's a huge part of our lives, you know, work and, and your colleagues and hanging out and being productive and being successful. But we're, we're losing a lot of what that is. And, you know, this collective form of grief is experienced by everyone in different ways. And even though, like I was saying, we're all in this together, but in different ways. And, and I always like to say that, you know, you have to allow yourself to grieve, which means to be sad. And that is fine. And you can, you, you can allow yourself to be upset and annoyed and, you know, to share your feelings, to cry about them, but also to laugh at how this is all quite absurd. And, you know, and this is a, for, for companies as well. I mean, allowing employees and, and employers themselves to take entire days to just not do anything, to embrace not doing anything and process what we're going through at our own pace. And, you know, the message is basically you don't have to be the best version of yourself at all times, you know? And I think this has to be a message that carries on as we navigate this crisis. We wait for the next one to roll along whenever it comes because, you know, that's how, how the, the world spins, as they say. But, um, but I think this is a, this is a message that I really hope resonates with people as we move forward. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think having that permission and creating that permissive environment within the workplace is is, is absolutely kind of key. And, and you know, Robin, you, you've talked about kind of fostering that as actually kind of one of your your central themes in terms of supporting people within the workplace. That permission to to know that these are normal reactions to abnormal times is, is going to be absolutely kind of key. Sure, it's okay to be not okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you very much to you both for, for jo- joining me today. It's been really insightful to kind of hear from a practical perspective in terms of you know what is, is happening in terms of our uh, emotional well-being, our mental health, uh, and the impact of kind of COVID-19 on ourselves, but also on the workplace and the various ways that we can kind of support an individual with it within that. Um, so, so thank you very much for, for both joining me uh, today. It's been really, really insightful. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much. Luke. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this thought-provoking conversation around supporting people in the workplace after COVID-19. And join us next time for the third podcast in the series, exploring how we can support young people's mental health with digital. Featuring North Point a service working with children and young people right across Yorkshire. Thank you.